From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. goal, Carolina six-yard line, Powell motions into the backfield, it's a snap to Appleby, looks to throw underneath for the tight end, Seattle Lewis with a catch, and he's into the end zone, touchdown, Gators, oh my, Fullwood slot left, Hammond wide left, here's Appleby looking and looking and throws the ball to Arm, throw the end zone for Fullwood, he's there, he's got it, touchdown, oh my, I'm on Fullwood, 18-yard pass play into the left corner of the end zone, and the Gators lead 13 to nothing. This looks like to be 55 yards. It could be a career long for Pinheiro. 55 yards inside the left hash to the north uprights. There's the snap, the set down, the kick is up and on the way. And it is good! <laughs> oh my! Pinheiro just hit one from 55 and the Gators lead 17 to nothing. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Florida finished out their hurricane-shortened home schedule in fine form last weekend with a 20-7 win over Will Muschamp and the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now a return trip to Atlanta is on the line as the Gators head to Baton Rouge for a date with LSU. In preparation for the SEC regular season finale, today we'll chat with junior cornerback Quincy Wilson about the battle for DBU, get some analysis from his position coach, Torian Gray, and bring you another roundtable discussion with FloridaGators.com's senior writers, Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But first, the secondary has been the strength of the Gator defense for quite some time now, highlighted by stars like Joe Hayden and Matt Elam, and more recently, Vernon Hargraves and Keanu Neal. One wave seems to give way to another, and that currently includes the dynamic duo of Tease Tabor and Quincy Wilson. We had a chance to talk to Quincy at a team luncheon about his relationship with Tabor and how they've pushed each other to the max, but we started by asking him what the Gators did to fend off the Gamecocks in the Swamp. Coming off a loss, uh, we had to work on things like establishing a line of scrimmage and stuff like that, so throughout the week, we just made an emphasis on being physical and, and imposing our will, and we felt like we did that this past Saturday. What did it mean to send the seniors out that way, too, in, in their final game in the Swamp? Uh, it was big to do that for them. Uh, everyone would like their last game somewhere to be memorable, and I felt like they, they would remember that performance. There was so much attention paid to the Will Muschamp angle of it. I'm curious what your expectations were of how that would play out and what it was actually like when you were going through it. Uh, I didn't really think about it that much. I mean, I'm sure everyone was, was conscious of the fact that it was his first time back in the swamp after leave and, and whatever. Um, I think it was, I think people probably thought it was going to be a little bit more, but I mean, it just felt like a regular game. Afterward, did you have a chance to talk to him? And, and what did he say to you after the game? Uh, he just, he, I saw, that was my first time seeing him again. And, uh, he just said he was proud of me and I'm playing very well. Was it, was it cool for all your teammates to have that chance to, especially the seniors who were recruited by him yeah. to be able to be there on senior day with your current coach, then also at the end, get together with the guy that, that brought you there. Yeah, it was cool for them to see that. Cause I know, uh, after when someone recruits you for two, three years and then you play for them, that there's a relationship built. So it was good to, to see them again. If we can take things back a bit, can you talk about your family, where you grew up, and just a little bit more about where you came from? 
Uh, I'm from South Florida, Broward County. Uh, I grew up with my mom and dad. Uh, my dad played for the Hurricanes and then he played for the Seahawks. Um, and we just grew up a football family, always watching football. Uh, my dad played cornerback also, so he taught me everything I knew. And my, I have a little brother that's coming here next year. He plays cornerback also, so it's just, I guess it just runs in the family. Is, is it a coincidence or is it growing up, you're watching him and you know what he did and, and that's your goal is, is to be like him? Uh, I don't think it was a coincidence because I remember I played quarterback all the way to like ninth, 10th grade. And uh, I remember at my high school, they had like five or six quarterbacks. So I just moved over to the defense and I just started playing quarterback and I, I figured I was good at it. It was funny last week talking to Brian Cox, same kind of thing with his dad and following in his footsteps. What's the biggest influence he's had on your football career? Is it the way that you play? Is it your mindset? Well, what would you say that is? Uh, the biggest influence uh, is always good to have someone there that uh, has been where you are trying to get. So he knows what it takes. And ever since day one, he's been really hard on me to instill those things in my mind. And, and, and it's paying off. I can see that it's paying off all the things he's taught me. Growing up with your brother playing the same position, was there friendly competition between you guys? How did you push each other? Yeah, of course. Um, we always worked out together in high school and whatever. I know this year we had a, we had a friendly competition who could get more interceptions. <laughs> so your dad played for Miami during the, the glory days of the yeah. U. How much do you remember hearing about that as a kid? He, even now, how much does he still talk about those days? Yeah, I, I heard about a lot. I mean, growing up in South Florida, everyone wanted to go to Miami. Um, the Hurricanes were it. They were everything. Uh, Coach Shannon actually recruited my father, so that was pretty cool. Uh, and I'm just, he talks about it a lot, and sometimes he goes back and watch and shows me game film and whatever, stuff like that. There were a ton of schools that were trying to get your services. Mm -hmm. What ultimately made you want to come to Florida? Ultimately made me come here was, uh, I know Florida has a long history of great DBs, and uh, I just felt like I, that was a spot for me to just keep the legacy going. Was there anything from your dad? Was he upset you didn't want to go to Miami or weren't really putting them in, in the, the, the mix there? Uh, no, I, he wasn't upset. Uh, it was it would have been nice to go to Miami and follow his footsteps, but just they weren't where they needed to be, so he was he was happy for my decision. You have a bunch of former teammates in the NFL right now, like Vernon Hargraves, Keanu Neal, Brian Poole. How often do you have a chance to communicate with those former teammates, and what do they tell you about being at the next level? Uh, I, I talk to them pretty often, uh, Brian Poole and Vernon Hargraves. Uh, they just tell me that. The main thing is to watch film. Everything's about film and knowing what's coming before it happens. So it's good to hear from guys that where I want to be. When you're hanging out on Sundays watching them, is it surreal seeing players that were just in your locker room playing on the, the biggest stage out there? Yeah, it's really cool to see that because, uh, like you said, I was like, I just played on the team with these guys last year, and now I'm watching them in the NFL. So, yeah, it is pretty cool. If we go back a few weeks against Missouri, Tease has a pick six, and then you answer with a pick six. Mm -hmm. He talked after the game about that friendly competition, that dynamic between the two of you. Can you just talk about that and how that's pushed each of you to get better? Yeah, uh, the friendly competition between me and him uh, has just been for the better. Ever since we got here, we've been competing against each other, and I feel like it's raised our level of play. And this year is just really showing because uh, in most of the games, if I get a pick, he gets a pick. If he gets a pick, I get a pick. So, I mean, it's, it's for the better, you know what I'm saying? So I also heard stories about you guys off the field and, and the friendly competitions that can extend beyond football. What are some of the craziest things you guys have turned into into competitions? <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we, we're we just so competitive. We're always talking about uh, who can be better here and there, but um, just anything, you know, playing Madden or anything like that, we're just trying to be, trying to be better.
Whenever I talk to your teammates, they always say that their best memories are always about their friends on the team and the guys they play with. I'm curious when it comes to T's, how important that friendship between the two of you has been to your time here at Florida. It has been important. Um, like I said, ever since day one, it's been it's been me and him fighting each other for playing time. And finally this year, we're both starting and just we just come a long way from going hard in the offseason, working out together, watching film together, everything. So yeah, it has been a good experience. So much of the talk around the two of you is about the NFL. Mm -hmm. Everyone's talking about where you're projected out the next level. Mm -hmm. Where do you keep that on a day-to-day -day basis? Do you keep that in the back of your head? Does that push you every day? Where do you keep the NFL talk? Yeah, I mean, it is a reality uh, of people saying that, but um, I try not to think about it as much because I got to take care of the season for now and, and whoever playing that week. So, I mean, if I just take care of the team we play every week, then that will just take care of itself. The injuries have been just unbelievable this year, especially on defense. So many big ticket guys that have been going down. When you're out there and you see a Marcus May, a Jared Davis, and Alex Anzalone go down, what's the response like? I mean, how do you how do you continue doing what you're doing as you're seeing all your leaders get hurt? Uh, I just feel like whenever I see a leader get hurt, uh, you just feel like you got to step up but not do anything more than just your job. But I also have full confidence in the people behind them like um, Marcel and Nick, they've been playing very well, and that showed also on Saturday. And guys like David Reese and uh, Kylan Johnson and Voshan Joseph, them at linebacker, they've been playing well. So, I mean, it is a worry to have guys like Alex Anzalone and Jared Davis and Marcus May go down, but we got guys behind them that can get the job done also. You came in as someone who had to wait your turn as well. There were guys in front of you, and those reps are critically important. How significant is it now for so many young players to be getting real game experience because of all these injuries. Yeah, it's definitely important for them to make sure they're paying attention to practice and when they're not in there to get mental reps and not just uh, days off or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think that in practice, we go pretty hard to get game-like um, scenarios and stuff like that. So I think they'll be okay. I know that you had a lot of fun before the Tennessee game, the, the ducks pull trucks thing. And then yeah. afterwards, you were asked about it, you said, I don't regret it. Yeah. And I'm curious, why is that important to you and to your teammates in terms of building a, a swagger? Yeah, the people call it trash talk, but I think it's just confidence, man. Uh, going into a game, I, I don't know, what are you expecting to say? That we, we're just going to go out there and try our best, we, we might lose now. Like, I, we're going in the game, we're going to win. Specifically being a DB and knowing how difficult a matchup is every single play, is that attitude important to be able to play the position, having that confidence? Yeah, you definitely got to have some confidence and attitude and swagger to yourself playing defensive back. Uh, you're going to make plays, the receiver's going to make plays, but you got to have a short memory and just come back and, and keep competing. Since you are playing LSU, let's talk about the, the DBU discussion. Where did that even start? Yeah, I mean, uh, DBU obviously started here at Florida Gators, but uh, there's other schools that think they are that, but... We're just going to go out there and play our game. I know you have a lot of relationships with guys on LSU as well. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the players that you know on that team and, and what it's like going up against them? Uh, I mean, it would be cool to go against other guys, you know, that they compare to you, like other good to be like Jamal Adams, Davis White, and John Battle. Me and him come from the same area. So it'll be, it'll be a good matchup. When you look at DBs at the next level, who do you want to be? Who do you look at and say, I'm going to model my game after that player or, or multiple guys? Uh, guys I like to watch in the NFL, probably Richard Sherman. I like his confidence, his swagger, and he's smart. He plays the game smart. But if I had to compare myself to somebody, probably Patrick Peterson, you know, he's big and fast, kind of like myself. Right now in, in college football, it seems like past interference flags fly all the time. How difficult is it now relative to maybe a few years ago 
to play defense without getting flagged? Because it seems like it's really increased. Yeah, it has. I feel like it has increased. You just got to really make sure you're on top of your game and, and technically sound and stuff like that so that you avoid getting those penalties. If we can get back to LSU to wrap things up, when you've been watching film on them from what you've seen, what are the keys against a team like LSU that it's so big and so physical? Uh, I mean, it's no secret that they have two of the best backs in the game, and we just got to go out there and, and, and tackle, just wrap them, tackle, and we'll get the job done. Part of the reason that players like Quincy Wilson and Tease Tabor have prospered is because of great coaching. Torian Gray took on the significant responsibility of working with Florida's DBs this season after 10 years at his alma mater, Virginia Tech. Jeff Cardozo caught up with Gray to get his perspective on his prized secondary as they enter a must-win matchup. Overall, I'm pleased. Obviously, as a coach, you're never totally satisfied. There's plays that we've given up in games that you kind of cringed about. You know, we shouldn't have given up this play. But overall, our guys have been, been pretty solid on the year, so I'm pleased for the most part. When you think about uh, LSU, you certainly think about Fournette and guys in the run game, what they can do. So is that now even maybe more important for your guys so that they can't fall asleep on any given play? You got to focus on the run game. You got to stop the run, first of all. Hopefully you can make them one-dimensional, but that's been tough for a lot of teams this year. But in the past game now, that opened up explosive plays, explosive opportunities, which they've hit big plays on, on people in the past game because those guys get focused on the run. So we're going to have to definitely have an overall great game. We know uh, how good your guys are back there and, and covering and man-to-man, and they like to play that way too. So is there an advantage to doing that or some things you can maybe do that you, know, you try to get away from the man-to-man stuff? Well, we kind of are who we are with our scheme, and our players allow us to play the way that we play by playing a lot of man coverage, and we don't necessarily want to get away from that. And if some teams make a couple plays on you, you got to help your players out um, from that standpoint. But we've been able to play the way we want to play. There's been some games where we haven't played a lot of man. For the most part, that's been by choice. So, um, you know, we kind of like to keep it interesting. No, it was probably tough to, to see Marcus go down last week on, on senior day, especially. Um, first of all, how, how was that reaction and, you know, how, how is he doing? Well, obviously, you know, you feel bad for Marcus first and foremost because he's a guy who came back to um, go to school, complete his degree, and to have a great senior year and help himself in the draft and to just have that taken away from him. Obviously, you feel bad for him. We feel bad for him. It kind of takes away the, the mood in the room. But, you know, in football, we got to kind of kind of move along without him here at this point and, and go and just wish him the best on his recovery and, and, and going into the draft. So that obviously means some guys are going to step up. Tell us uh, who, who's in that spot. Well, right now we're going to have Marcel Harris fill in for him. Marcel's been playing awesome all year, coming in and splitting time with Nick Washington. Nick will go to the free safety spot, and, and you know, Nick's been doing a solid job all year. So we have those two guys, but now we got to – add some depth you know Jawan Taylor hasn't been counting on to play all year at this point by spinning three guys who've been been playing and um, you know we got to find someone else from the secondary so you know we got to look at Chauncey Gardner as another safety option to, to give us a guy and to have some depth back there. We know uh, confidence is probably not an issue with, with Tabor and Quincy and the, the game that Marcel Harris had against South Carolina does that give him a little confidence now those back-to-back plays where he, you know, he got the, the guy and then the, then the pick. That was a pretty special. Yeah, you know, he had a play on the reverse 
um, which was awesome, big-time play, and then had the interception to play after that. But to be honest, Marcel has been playing lights out all year. You know, like I said, he's been splitting time with Nick Washington, but he's really played at a high level for the amount of plays he's been in the game, so been very proud of him. So from a confidence standpoint, he doesn't like that. When you uh, you strolled onto campus and you, you sort of looked at the roster and you had the, the, the tease Tabor and Quincy Wilson, you, you knew it was going to be a special group. What, what have those two guys done for you this year, and what have they brought to, to that secondary? Well, you know, they're guys that are obviously talented guys, but just seeing how they love to play football, the way those guys practice, um, Jalen Tabor, the way he's in meetings, they really have a great passion for the game, and they want to compete. And, you know, sometimes you'll get around some guys who have the talents or the tools that they have but don't want to work for it. And those guys have been a pleasure and a breath of fresh air that they love to work. I know earlier in the season, T's had that the one interception where he jumped the route and he, he said it was all because of film study. So how hard do you guys work on that weekly? Oh, we try to give those guys within the time frames that we're able to be with them answers to the test, as we would say. And Jalen Tabor's a gym rat, and he's going to watch a lot of film without the coaches. And once you're able to, to get him and, and show him certain things, all he needs is a little bit of information and, and to be able to process things, and, and which help him uh, make more plays on Saturday, you hope. Is it gratifying to you? I know you sit up in the, in the press box during the games. When, when you see something like that, you stick up your arms and sort of root a little bit because you, you know that it worked? Right, definitely. There's, there's not a a greater feeling than to know you prepared for something and you prepared your guys for an opportunity during the week and for those guys to kind of see it and, and kind of go execute and make a huge play that can be a difference in the game is um, a really great feeling. So now as you go into uh, to Baton Rouge this weekend, <laughs> you, you think about uh, that, that atmosphere, all the things that happened. How important is it now for those linebackers, and now we, we don't have Davis and Anzalone out there, for the communication piece and, and for everything to work together for this defensive unit? Well, obviously it's a challenge itself. You know, if you're fully healthy and you don't have young linebackers, it's a challenge. Now the communication piece is that much more important because you're working with younger guys um, who are going into a hostile environment for the first time. And, and you know, we just got to all be on the same page. So we got to communicate, help each other, but it's even more imperative going into that environment. I know it's not your group, but how special has this D-line been, too, for those guys to get to the quarterback makes it easier on your bunch, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely. You know, you, you can have talented guys on our back end, but, you know, it definitely makes our job easier when our, our front line is getting after the quarterback. Um, the way those guys played last week was awesome, and, you know, like I said, it, it makes playing the secondary a lot easier. I'm sure you guys are, are really excited to, to get out there. How's, how's the week been at practice? Everybody fired up, ready to go? Yes, everybody's kind of focusing, honed in, um, ready to attack the opportunity to go into Death Valley, and um, you kind of think about it and you smile, the opportunity that we have, and everybody's just kind of focused on that. It's hard to believe how many marquee names have gone down with significant injuries this year for Florida, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The list unfortunately kept growing against South Carolina, but it doesn't change the reality of what the Gators will see in Baton Rouge regardless of which 11 bodies take the field. Scott Carter and Chris Harry joined us for another podcast roundtable this week discussing the challenges to come in Death Valley, the early returns for Gator basketball, and what impressed them about Florida's win over South Carolina. You look at the uh, coming off the Arkansas game and the worst-case scenario, you had Will Muschamp coming back with his South Carolina team here to the Swamp on senior day. He's recruited a lot of these guys. And uh, it was a situation where uh, the Gators really wanted to take care of business out there on senior day and just basically dump that whole storyline in the trash can. And, and they were able to do that really from the start. Um, 
they came out there with you know some fire and energy and it showed on their first couple of offensive drives and by the end of the midway second quarter I think their first four drives they had 251 yards that's already more than they had in the previous two games so it was a, a, a important game but just going back to I mean College football this season is kind of crazy. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at the rankings, there's a lot of 7-2 and two teams out there where Florida is going out to LSU. To me, it looks like it's Alabama and everybody else, certainly in the SEC. But for Florida fans, pretty big game this weekend to be able to clinch the SEC is with a win. Yeah, and if we're going to jump ahead and talk about that now, we can revisit some a little bit about we'll, that. We'll, South, we'll come South, back to Yeah, I'm yeah, talking about South Carolina. South Carolina, uh, like Scott said, I think the first drive – the zone replay by by Austin Appleby was something you know that kind of jumped out at you a little bit. Showed a little bit of his athleticism that maybe we hadn't seen a quarterback you know run that free and showed some pretty good speed on that play and some nice offensive uh, early on. But again, some of these things that co- keep coming back to bite Florida are these self destructive kind of things. Uh, two turnovers in the red zone, I believe, in the first half. Otherwise, uh, you know that that game's on cruise control by halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know there's things they got to obviously clean up with that and. You know, I don't think uh, South Carolina's offense um, really was a great test for Florida's defense, although the um, Jake Bentley did come in here as a pretty hot quarterback, had led them, the true freshman had led them to uh, three straight wins. So uh, nice overall performance. The, the, if you ask me what I remember most about that game, Adam, I would think the scene afterwards with the players and Will Muschamp and the time he took after what must have been a probably emotional defeat for him, um, to spend as much time as he did with those guys on the field. Um, it was kind of like a, a, a conga line of Gators that he recruited came up to him, and I thought that was a, that was a really cool scene that uh, you know some people caught with some photographs and some video and the really good optics in, in the postgame for, for a game that everyone knew about. It was a pregame storyline, then it became the postgame storyline. Yeah. While the game's going on, not a whole lot of talk about it, and, and players certainly not thinking about it. So he's taking the end of it, and to me what I take most of it from it was to start. Because that's the way, exactly the way Florida has to come out at LSU if they're gonna, you know, probably have a chance out there. And we saw at Arkansas they had none of that life. I mean, Jim McElwain when he first got here used that term "dead fish" to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for the first time maybe since he's been head coach, the team was a dead fish at Arkansas. I mean, they just had nothing. But it was a nice response from the start against South Carolina. And again, like I just said, I mean, they have to somehow recapture that energy to come out in a tough environment and. See what they can do to LSU. And we spent a lot of time talking about quarterbacks this year. That's been a big part of the story. And it really felt like Austin Appleby gave Florida that spark that they were looking for, mostly because of the, the, the zone reads. It seemed like he was really able to add a, a new element to the offense, which badly needed something to change its course. Well, McElwain was asked about that at his press conference money. He said that that's not something that, that all of a sudden came out of nowhere. It's stuff that they've had. They just haven't. The read part of it hasn't really been there in terms of a quarterback being able to keep the ball. But let's be honest. I mean, Austin Appleby is going to, do that play probably better than Luke Del Rio. You know, I think he's more athletic than Luke, and certainly Luke has been hobbled and, and certainly was in his comeback game against Arkansas. So, you know, again, fast start, much better than throwing a pick six on your first play like they did uh, out, out at Arkansas mm-hmm. to kind of set the tone well, started, there. Started the last two games with interceptions. Yeah, I mean, so so <laughs> like dead fish started Arkansas. But, but yeah, yeah, quarterback play. Uh, nice to see Ahmad Fullwood make a play. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been waiting for him to kind of do some stuff over over the last few years. Uh, you know, Florida has some talent out there relative to making some plays offensively. Jordan Scarlett was 134 yards rushing uh, for him. So uh, they were able to do that. They, all this stuff is it's going to be paramount going to LSU because it's a great defense. It can't constantly be 
punting, I think, seven of the first ten possessions at Arkansas, Adam, were punts. Two of them were turnovers, I think. So that kind of stuff isn't going to get it done on the road at LSU. So more productivity. And, again, a couple of those turnovers prevented what became a 20-7 to game. It could have easily been a 40-7 to game. So cut those turnovers out. Easier said than done, especially on the road. And the Gators will be in a better shape, obviously. Yeah, you know, the road part of this has been a – a big topic, you know, in media sessions this week. It was last night with the players. It was Monday. I mean, Florida's four and three on the road in true road games with McElwain. And uh, in some of the bigger ones, they they went out to LSU last year. Kind of a situation. <clears throat> a lot of the team was in transition from Will Greer at quarterback to Treon Harris uh, reclaiming that job after Greer's suspension. And uh, they actually went out and played better than I think a lot of people thought. They lost, what, 35-28, if I mm-hmm. recall. It was late in the fourth quarter uh, when the game was decided. Uh, so, you know, it's somewhat of a similar situation here with LSU. You know that crowd's going to be rabid. You know with, you know, the chatter after Hurricane Matthew and how, how it was played out on social media, Chris. I mean, it's funny to kind of watch, but that finally now they're going to capture all that energy on the field in one place on a Saturday in Baton Rouge and the – I'm just kind of looking to see how that plays out because there's been a lot said about this game. And uh, the players always decide it. Uh, You could tell that this Florida team, while they're they're not going to be given much of a chance out there, I do think that, you know, some of that stuff probably motivates them, especially that that scared talk. Speaking of, he mentioned (laughs) playing on the road. Let's go back and just revisit. This wasn't supposed to be a road game, right? And it was supposed to be played October 8th in Gainesville. So now it is a road game. But go back to that week when Hurricane Matthew was blowing up the coast. And you got an athletic director from the other school saying Gators are scared. You got writers from the other team saying Gators are scared. You got the fans on the other right saying the Gators are scared. I just remember how absurd all that was that week while we were here wondering, you know, what was going to happen to our to we're, the, we're here getting the whole, gas yeah, yeah, and water yeah, yeah, and yeah to worry about how they're supposed to how they're going to staff a game or if we're going to move it or if they're going to drive there and all, all this stuff and uh, you know a lot has been forgotten and that's going to have nothing to do with anything when these two teams roll out on the field at, yeah. uh, at what is it noon start in Baton Rouge um, the fans are going to remember it there there's going to be some very creative signs some oh, yeah. some of us will make us will, will make us laugh and all that stuff but the Gators are going there without all the bullets in the chamber let's face that so there's plenty of to rally around the troops no one's giving much of a chance. Oh, what is it, 12 point spread now? Somewhere like that. Something like that. You got guys up to a, as many as, as nine starters that, that aren't going to play or definitely out for the game. Is that the right number, Scott? Uh, good news today, actually, on the conference call with the SEC media, Jim McElwain did say that Tyler Jordan and CC Jefferson do appear like they're on schedule to play. They're out of practice. So good news. That's, that's significant the, for yeah. one guy on each side of the yeah. line where, where this game is going to be decided in, in the trenches. So this is even more than the must-champ thing, I think, because a lot of this talk and banter and absurdity from uh, the week of heading into October 8th is going to be revisited. One, we're not hearing it now. They're talking about it there, I guarantee mm-hmm. it. And, again, once the game starts, it will mean nothing because uh, LSU is a way different team than they were way back then. I think it was just they'd been maybe, what, one game with Orgeron in charge at Um, that time? They were coming off one game. I think so. And the biggest difference, they were going to be without Leonard Fournette that game. And and then, of course, Darius Geis has done very well as a Leonard Fournette compliment. I mean, that's probably the best Compliment. That's what I'm saying. Probably (laughs) the one best one-two punch in the country. He's the main course right now. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what those two guys have done. And the – that's going to really be the challenge for Florida's defense to find a way to slow those two guys down. And then the offense is to find a way to stay on the field. Uh, they did a good job of that in the first half uh, last week with Austin Appleby and the offense, but then they stalled. You started having injuries. You started having penalties. And the flow of the game really got disrupted in the second half. And 
this is a game where if the offense doesn't sustain some drives and the, the defense is left out there for 35 or 40 minutes, LSU is going to have some pretty impressive rushing totals at the end. Nobody's going to slow them down completely. No. No defense. Uh, Ar- Arkansas uh, rushed for, what was it, the number was 230-some yards, 240 yards against Florida at home in Fayetteville. Um, they held Florida to 12 yards on 14 carries. Yeah. Uh, LSU goes in there and rushes for like, is it over 300? It was 300, 390 yards at a place where Florida got 12. So just on the face of it, the matchups uh, are overwhelmingly in LSU's favor. That's where the line is where it is. That's where not a lot of people are giving Florida a chance. At the same time, that's where Jim McElwain is, you know, rallying the troops, you know, getting the foxhole. A lot of these young guys are going to take the place of Alex Anzalone and, and uh, Jared Davis and Marcus May. These guys are, you know, are going to be counted on, and this is this is time for them to um, step up and show some stuff for not only this week, not only the next week, but what's going on for, for next season. It's a springboard kind of game for some of these young guys. I guess when you're playing LSU, and especially now under Ogeron as opposed to Miles, I think there's even less of an element of surprise. You know exactly what you're going to get. They lead the SEC. They average 6.4 yards per carry as a team. So you know they're going to run the ball down as your throats. Team. Can you stop it? And that's the biggest question for Florida with the bodies that they have available. Do they have enough firepower to oppose that? Well, I think that when we get in CC back is big. You got Joy Ivy. I thought Taven Bryan, here's a guy. He played really well in the South Carolina game. This guy has uh, always he's got been, all the tools, man. Yeah, he's he's got all the tools, and for whatever reason, he hasn't played uh, consistently over his career. But having him as a guy to be able to step in when you do lose a guy like Brian Cox or uh, someone of that nature, I mean, it's a pretty good backup yeah, plan, no Chris. Question. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. So I think they have the bodies up there, even without a couple of those guys. Uh, but again, it goes all. But you only got so many in Kerry Clark, uh, Caleb Brantley. But those guys are eventually going to wear down. And one thing I've learned about defensive tackles over the years, and this, this is something that actually Muschamp used to say, it, it, once they run out of gas, there's no refilling. They're done. <laughs> They're done. So, Take so, them out of rotation. Yeah, so you have to basically keep those guys fresh. And, and the only way you're going to help them out is to get that offense going, uh, sustain some drives, uh, hopefully end in some touchdowns. You got Eddie Pinero there to end in some field goals, but – uh, that's been really, to me, the key to this offensive struggles that we talk about some uh, in the second half of the season for Florida. They just haven't been able to maintain some drives. And it hasn't mattered whether it was Luke Del Rio or Austin Appleby at times. No, it, and just way too many. If you look at the drive charts, just way too many punt, 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 punts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, as good as his defense is, they can only sustain so much. I mean, I go back to the – I was on a Tennessee talk show today. They were talking about how bad Florida looked – when they were up in Knoxville, well, Florida didn't look bad until the offense started. Their defense didn't look bad until the offense started to look bad. Mm-hmm. When the yeah. offense went south, what was it six possessions minus 19 yards or something like that? That's when Tennessee went for 38 unanswered points. So uh, it can't be lopsided. I mean, it is going to be lopsided because the defense is that much ahead of the offense. But the offense has to contribute something. And, you know, more than ever in a game like this because LSU is the kind of team that can be on the field all day long if uh, Florida's offense gives them a chance to do that. So the stakes are pretty clear. If Florida wins, they go to Atlanta. The crazy part is even if they lose, they might still go to still Atlanta because Tennessee has to beat Vanderbilt. And if you've seen Tennessee lately, and Missouri, mm-hmm. they have a couple things left to go. Right. So how much is that being discussed internally at this point? The idea that this is for the East. I know McElwain – was maybe trying to downplay it a little bit, but do you think that's a big part of what's driving them right now? 
Oh, no I question. sure hope so. No I mean, yeah. if it's not, they uh, they probably need to readjust their priorities. But without question, Adam, I mean, that's the straight. You can go out to LSU, a place where, let's face it, no one or few people outside Gator Nation or inside that locker room are going to pick Florida in this game. But what a statement win it is if they can go out there and pull it off. And the prize at the end of the win would be the SEC's title for the second consecutive year. And uh, as rocky as you know, the season's been at points up and down, that's a pretty special way to end it. And then, uh, you know, you still have the game against Florida State. But having everything still to play for, I mean, I would expect if they do come out like they should, I mean, they're, they're going to be fired up because well, how can you not get No, and, I, and I, mean. I don't think they're talking – I don't think it's even been mentioned that, uh, hey, you can go there and lose and still win it. No, no, no. yeah, that, <laughs> yeah not yeah. that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. yeah. So they have control, which is all you can ask uh, when you're going to your last game. You have control to win your division. I mean – any team would have signed that paper before the season even starts. So as much as has gone wrong, and uh, you know, and Tennessee's up there saying the same thing. They've had a hell of a lot of injuries this year, also, and they they're in a decent position because they're all watching. They're going to scoreboard watch this game, and obviously know if something happens, they can jump in there. So for all that's happened, uh, you know, again, the imbalance of the East and the West is pronounced. I think it's two and sixteen. The east, like is, the east against the, the west. This year. And you added tally last week where Georgia beat Auburn, which, which was Auburn which was really really hurt surprising. And yeah. Hurt running back. yeah, yeah, but it was still a surprise. Still a surprise. The, 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 yes. the way it happened, and yet uh, somebody's got to win the east. So Florida's in position, and that's that's all you can ask for at this point. Yeah, and uh, even last year, you know, it was kind of a situation when they went to face Alabama. The doesn't SEC. this feel like right now where we are in the season? Doesn't it feel a lot like last year at this time? In a, a way, people are sort of you're, they're counting out. You're in a good position. You have a chance to go win in Atlanta potentially, but there's this assumption that Florida doesn't have enough to do it. Yeah, there is that. It, it does compare last year in some ways. I don't think it's as drastic because last year it got to the point where we saw that it was a totally different offense. Uh, they just weren't able to do what they were able to do in the mm-hmm. first half. I think what we've seen from Austin Appleby in, in the short time we've seen from him, I mean. He's shown a real ability to spark the offense. Uh, he does have some skill sets that uh, Del Rio doesn't have. He's got a bigger arm, and he showed off his legs on that 33-yard run that set up the first touchdown. Um, the one thing that uh, Mac talked about at his press conference, they, you know, the turnovers. They got a, they've turned the ball over three times the other day against South Carolina, won the game handily. It was never really a contest. I mean, you're not going to do that out of LSU. You've got to take care of the ball. That's something I'm sure that's being stressed. And that's one area that Appleby has had a issue with. But if he can somehow corral that and keep that offense out there, I mean, you know, teams, I've always thought teams that are given no chance, I mean, sometimes that, that's that's what they need to get them over that little hump to inspire them the most. I mean, mm-hmm. is this going to happen in this case? Who knows? But even last year in the Alabama SEC championship game, I don't know what the spread was. Alabama was like it's probably about 17 and a half. So, I mean, yeah, it was yeah. 40. you got to remember, I mean, that game – really didn't get over until late third, early fourth. I mean, they played tough. They just, again, didn't execute at some key times. But the plays were there to be made. Going back to last year, I, I don't see it that much of a comparison because last year I think there was a sense among Florida fans and, you know, of what might have been. You know, because mm-hmm. at 6-0 and oh, and you have a, a – Pre-Greer a, a, and, and that's post-Greer. Right, that's, that's right. That's yeah. right. And, and also you had to beat either Vanderbilt or South Carolina to win the East. Now you have to go to LSU and win. So um, in terms of maybe how things are trending, maybe there is some comparison to that, but um, I don't really see a whole lot of comparison with that. And and, uh, in terms of they go to Alabama, a lot of of it will be similar. If they play Alabama in the SEC, a lot of that will be similar. But um, I think right now that you get a sense that they're they're like treading water a little bit. 
But McIlwain, I guarantee, is in that locker room, you know, hunkering down and mm-hmm. just saying, you know, it's it's us against the world. Nobody's giving you a chance. Let's prove everybody wrong. Before we move on to basketball, I did want to ask a question about the offense, Austin Appleby, because a lot of people asked me this after last game. Is it well, Appleby? His strength is his arm. He's got a big arm. But Florida didn't take any shots against South Carolina. Do you think that'll be different if Tyler Jordan's back in there and, and you've got you know a little bit more continuity on the line that you feel more comfortable taking some shots downfield? No, I do. Uh, anytime, you know, <laughs> the quarterback needs time back there. And I do think what they had to work with after Tyler Jordan went down the other day, I thought T.J. McCoy came in and did a really nice job. They did have that one botch snap. But for the most part, you didn't realize there was even a change there. Uh, so that's always good for an offensive line when they do have a guy go down someone else comes in and you don't really pay much attention to it. Obviously the loss of David Sharp later in the game that forced uh, Martez Ivy to move from inside to outside at left tackle. Uh, Kavaris Harkless came in and I thought did a solid job. Uh, so again, they'll have that group to start with. McElwain talked about Jordan being back. We still don't know about David Sharp, but boy, if they can at least have him available in Jordan uh, and just with the experience McCoy got last week and Harkless, you feel like that's a, a about as good as it can be for them right now, considering all the, the all the injuries this late in the season. All right, let's talk some basketball now. Let's move on to a great start for Mike White's team. 2-0, a couple wins in uh, one of the homes away from home yes. in Jacksonville. Yes. What stood out to you, Chris? What was most impressive? I think some of the things that uh, jumped out at me is that all during the preseason, the, they had two scrimmages, and a couple of scrimmages, I think Florida combined to shoot, I want to say 55%. They shot 63%, I think, one scrimmage or something along the lines. And, you know, Mike White and his coach were saying, "Where you know, where's our defense? Well, uh, through two games, he said the defense is ahead of the offense. I mean, um, offense has been kind of slow to start against Florida Gulf Coast, certainly. And then defense uh, kind of unfolded into the press and started a 15 to nothing run that kind of broke that game open early in the first, early in the second half. Florida was actually losing that game with the 15-minute mark by five. Uh and, and we haven't seen Kayvon Allen really get on. I think he's only shooting – I think he's made five of the 20 shots he's taken. And yet what I like about that is this time last year, he came here as a volume scorer, a volume shooter, and he was afraid to shoot. Mike White actually sat him down one time. He goes, if you don't shoot, I'm not playing you. Okay? Th- that's not a problem with him now. He's, he's, shooting, <laughs> he's shooting a lot. <laughs> okay, and, coach, you got and, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, would, you, you would think that's, that's a welcome sign right. for someone like that. But he's also a, a kind of a shy guy. Uh, like not just kind of a shy guy. How many podcasts have you had him on, Adam? I don't know if we've had a chance. Yeah. He's, he might be the shyest athlete I've ever I've ever talked to before. You know, I've been doing this a long time, and he's and he's 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 certainly right there. But Kayvon Allen is is shooting the ball more, and I don't have any doubt that he's gonna you know find a little that's, bit more of a groove for himself. Yeah, so it's actually kind of fascinating to me because being so shy, yet he goes out. You can go out in front of fifteen thousand people and put it all yeah, out there. Yeah. I mean, that's it's, it's, that's the the dichotomy of some athletes yeah. who can perform in front of 90,000 people and have that swagger. And, yet, and then you, you get in front of him. If we were in this setting right now, just two people talking and or in, a, in a shell. He was in treatment one time, and I had to talk to him about – he's from Arkansas. They were going to play Arkansas last year. And I said, are you going to be in there? And he just nods his head, nods his head. And I caught him. He's trying to sneak out of the building <laughs> through, the, through the women's locker room. Maybe, maybe he just doesn't like you, <laughs> no, though. It, 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 it could be. I'm not for everybody. Yes. <laughs> I've heard that, actually. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. No question. No, but, I mean, so so Florida, so they, they take those two wins up in Jacksonville, both lopsided wins, 20-plus victories, and 
Now they go on the road to play a St. Bonaventure team Thursday, Adam. And uh, this is a team, St. Bonaventure, that went 22-9 and last year. They won the, uh, excuse me, co-champs of the Atlantic 10, which is a very good league. They were tied with uh, VCU and Dayton for that league title. They're, both those teams were in the NCAA tournament. And uh, they ended up losing in their postseason tournament and went to the NIT. Um, but they got some players who can, some guards that can really shoot the ball. So that's going to be a point of emphasis for Florida. Their defense, their defense in the backcourt, but their defense has played very well to date. Now it's it's a matter of offense catching up to defense a little bit. Yeah, you know, going to the league, yeah, let's, <laughs> going, let's, going to the league. I know where this is going. It's always <laughs> a special moment. I mean, as it I is shared, because they've never gone it, there. Before. Why is it special to well, you, Scott? You know, guys. I mean, that was where I saw my first ever rock concert. Really? And it was in 1986. Okay. It was the great opening act, Cinderella, who I'm sure you guys remember. Cinderella. Well. Never yes. heard of. Cinderella. They opened for David Lee Roth, who was on the Eat 'Em and Smile tour. Which so this is post Van Halen. Yeah. Era, right? And then it, it, I was. We were chatting as before you came here. Bruce Ford, who was behind the scenes here. We were at the exact same show in the Lakeland Center the next year. Sleeping Beauty opened up for who? <laughs> Guns N' Roses opened up from okay. Motley Crue. Now, come oh, on. If you were in the 80s <laughs> hair metal, it doesn't get better than that, guys. So, Lakeland Center has obviously been a venue that has seen many historic events, and now it's getting to see some Gators basketball. It's getting so. to see some Gators basketball. And I'm trying with Denver Parlor, the director of communication. We can't find any time the Gators have played in Lakeland. Now, they probably did at some point or the other. Uh, can't find that. I, I certainly – I remember the, when the state championship games used to be there. I saw. I went there and saw some – good uh, uh, high school basketball back in the day. But uh, USF, SUB, one of its home courts before they opened the Sun Dome. Uh, I saw a concert there, too. I saw Bruce Springsteen in 1981. But uh, this is a – It's not quite Guns N' Roses. No, it's not quite. But it's a a smaller venue than it used to be. I think it only seats uh, like around 6,200. I'm hoping that the Gator fans in Polk County – and some from, uh, you know, the East Hillsboro, outside of that Tampa area, maybe some from the West Orlando area. Take this as a chance to go see them in a, in a tight kind of venue and, uh, and, and give the Gators some, uh, some, some support down there. Support wasn't great in Jacksonville, 5,400 one game, 37 the next. But um, this is a chance to, in a different place where you wouldn't normally get to see a, a marquee program roll in there. And, again, against a pretty damn good opponent. And then Florida, after that, Adam, on Monday they go to Tampa – and they'll play a Belmont team, which isn't a bad team either. They're noted for their three-point shooting, and they've had a couple upsets in, in November and December the last couple of years also. So a uh, good little test for the Gators, uh, who still won't be home until December 21st against Arkansas Little Rock when the O-Dome will finally be completed. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and leave us a review to help the podcast continue to grow. A new episode comes your way next week to discuss the Sunshine State Showdown looming on Thanksgiving weekend, so make sure you don't miss it. In the meantime, watch the Gators and the Tigers on Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock and listen on the Gator IMG Sports Network. So until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Death Valley. Thank you.